Welcome to Quick Hits, the only podcast that gets you smartinized. Today's episode, Global Warming, Part 2. I'm a very opinionated guy. On any given subject, I'll either have a strong opinion or no opinion at all if it's a subject that I don't care about. When I come across a new theory, idea, claim, or point of view that interests me, I'll check it out. Quite often, I can write something off immediately using the method outlined in the Reasonable Conclusions episode of this show. Otherwise, I'll do some research. I'll look at the pros and the cons, the arguments and the counterarguments, the facts and the figures, and I'll always consider the agendas and expertise of the people making claims on both sides. Then I'll take this plethora of information and opinion, filter it through my own biases and preconceptions, and come up with a firm opinion of my own. Once that process is completed, once I've invested the time and effort into learning about the subject, I'm unlikely to change my opinion unless someone comes along with new information or, occasionally, a point of view that I somehow fail to consider. I've been looking into global warming since I first heard the term. I've read hundreds of articles and a few books on the subject. I've looked at charts. I've tracked data to its source. And after all that time and energy learning about it, my opinion is it's probably happening a little bit. And a little bit of that might be caused by human activity. But most of it is just the earth doing its thing. That's a pretty wimpy opinion. And that's why I've never done a show about it before, because I like to present strong opinions and the reasons behind them. Yet... With all the effort I've put into figuring out this question, all I've got is this wimpy opinion. Probably. Maybe. A little bit. Opinions, at least my opinions, should be made of sterner stuff. I'm not going to talk about the data in this episode. I try and keep this show to 10 minutes plus closing comments, and discussing the data in detail would take dozens of hour-long shows. Instead... I want to tell you why I remain a skeptic on this subject and why my opinion on it is so wimpy. I grew up in the 70s, and that's when I first became fascinated with science. Back then, we were being told, over and over, from dozens of different experts and organizations, that the Earth was cooling. We were at the dawn of a new ice age, and it was all mankind's fault. The only solution was to shut down factories, simplify our lives dramatically, and become more socialist. Now we're being told, in many cases by the same experts and institutions, that global warming will be the death of us all. And the only solutions are to shut down factories, simplify our lives dramatically, and become more socialist. And in the past few years, these experts are using a new phrase, climate change which strikes me as a phrase to let them cover their asses no matter what happens. When assessing data, it's always important to look at the agendas of those broadcasting it and their history of accuracy on other subjects. Take Greenpeace, for instance. They're huge on global warming. It's bad enough that they're socialists, but it's even worse that they are directly responsible for the death by starvation of millions of people. 
Their misinformation and hysteria on genetically modified food has resulted in some African nations refusing gifts of millions of metric tons of grain. Their stupidity is killing people. So should I have any confidence in what they say? Information from government agencies should always be considered highly suspect on any subject. The government loves to find big problems, inventing them if necessary, and then pretend they can fix them. All they have to do is enlarge their power and their budget. The EPA, for instance, is big on global warming. But they haven't been right about much of anything for the past 20 years. They're a junk science machine on subject after subject after subject. When an organization that's been wrong about everything starts screaming, Climate change! That's a red flag that's hard to ignore. The UN and its organizations have a history of faking data and using pretend science to promote political agendas. And reports from their Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, are often quoted as proof that we're getting warmer. But their conclusions are all over the place. They predict an increase between 1 degree and 10 degrees during the next century. Could you narrow that down just a little? A listener sent me an excerpt from their third report where they come right out and say, citing the role of water vapor as a greenhouse gas is extremely misleading as water vapor cannot be controlled by humans. What? Water vapor has a huge effect on global temperature, but we're supposed to ignore it because it's beyond human control? Is this science? As I mentioned in the last show, Science isn't built on consensus, it's built on experimentation and debate. Vigorous, rigorous, hardcore debate. Debate must be encouraged for science to work. But instead, on this subject, we're seeing attempts to shut down debate and dissent. This kind of behavior really sets off my bullshit meter and keeps me skeptical. Scientific American has been considered the pinnacle of publicly available scientific publishing. When I was a teenager, I'd read it, often being baffled by the vocabulary and amazed by the ideas, at least the ones I could understand. Just holding it in the library made me feel smart. In 1998, political scientist Bjorn Lomberg wrote a book titled The Skeptical Environmentalist, where he argued against many of the popular beliefs about the state of the world, including global warming. His publisher was pressured to avoid publishing it at all. But they did, and it became a bestseller. In 2002, Scientific American published 11 pages of articles and essays attacking the book. Debate! Great! Bjorn wanted to address each point that they made, which would have taken 32 pages, and Scientific American said, no, we'll give you one page. Okay, it's their magazine, no problem. So Bjorn published his rebuttals on his website, quoting pieces from the original articles and addressing them. Again, so far, so good. There's debate going on, exactly how science is supposed to work. But then Scientific American used a tactic that's been perfected, not by science, but by a science fiction religion. They threatened to sue Bjorn for copyright violation for citing their articles. What are they afraid of? Perhaps they should change their name to Scientology American. There was a huge outcry over their heavy-handed tactics, and eventually they relented. But why did they do that in the first place? 
Why did they try to shut down the very engine that makes science work? Just a few days ago, Bjorn was scheduled to meet with Al Gore, who was visiting Denmark to plug his movie. Bjorn agreed to all of Al's stipulations, and then the interview was canceled with no reason given. Evidently, Al isn't willing to take on an inconvenient opponent. What is he afraid of? The American Meteorological Society is one of the few supporters of man-made global warming that doesn't have an obvious political agenda. But one of its most prominent members, Dr. Heidi Cullen, simply will not tolerate any dissent from the party line. She wants to strip AMS certification, which many stations require of their weathermen, from anyone who doesn't believe that global warming is man-made. We're not talking about someone who denies it's happening or who is skeptical about it, but someone who thinks that it's happening but questions man's role in the process. In other words, if they don't parrot the organization's beliefs exactly, they should lose their jobs. Wrong-thinking people should not be employed. This is the kind of behavior on the part of the experts that keeps me very skeptical about this. Their behavior makes me just as skeptical as the data, maybe even more so. I have to keep asking, why are they so afraid of debate? Why are they so afraid to let science work the way that it's supposed to? And that's it for this episode of the Quick Hits Podcast. If you've learned a little something, if you've changed your mind, or even if you can just understand a different point of view without necessarily agreeing with it, congratulations, you've been smartenized. listener named Alex wrote in to point out that Al pays to offset the hydrocarbons he spews while jet-setting around the world and heating and cooling his many large houses. I was aware of that, but didn't mention it because I think it's a sham. If the damage is real, paying off a fund doesn't make it magically disappear. It strikes me as a cop-out that he can fall back on conveniently when somebody points out just how much damage he personally is doing to the environment. Another writer, Leo, a PhD, writes in and says, First off, I really like your podcast and agree with you about half the time, which I think is about right. I just wanted to say that I don't agree with what you said about scientists. I'm a scientist myself, so I have some knowledge in this area. You said that scientists don't work by consensus, they work by facts. This isn't technically correct, but I know what you mean. Scientists work by a consensus of facts. If there is a consensus in the scientific community and one scientist provides data that alters or disproves the consensus idea, well, the scientific community will invest a lot of energy into proving or disproving the data. If it's proven to be true by a group of scientists, then it becomes a fact, and there will be a new consensus. Scientists always challenge each other and are willing to rethink models. Well, thanks for pointing that out. That is uh, a subtle difference, but it is a difference. Yes, they do work by a consensus of facts, but every one of those facts has been vetted and hammered on and pounded on and debated. And once it stood up to all of that, then it's accepted as a fact and becomes part of the consensus. He continues, rarely... A new paradigm is presented that fundamentally alters the way scientists look at large collections of data. When this happens, 
the process of rethinking old theories is much slower, sometimes painfully so, but it does happen. Anyway, keep up the good work. Well, that makes sense, too. If, if you've got a, a large collection of facts, a large group of facts, and somebody comes along with something that contradicts it and says something like, oh, gee, all the continents were once real close together, and then they drifted apart very slowly, and that contradicts the facts, it's going to take a long time before that's accepted. But if it turns out that it's right, and in that case it was, then it becomes a new fact and a new consensus. This is the strength of science. It's willing to change. It's willing to alter in the light of new information. That's one of the biggest weaknesses of theology. It's not willing to change in most cases. Going back to the poker podcast, another listener wrote in with news about NetTeller suddenly announcing it won't be handling transactions for gambling sites for its American customers any longer. I read the email in my spam filter preview and then clicked the wrong box so it was deleted instead of downloaded. So my apologies to the person that wrote that for not being able to announce your name. I had heard the news story of what caused this. The feds arrested two of NetTeller's founders. Now these people have committed no crime in America. NetTeller is not at all on American soil, but they arrested them and charged them with money laundering. One of the guys was switching planes on his way through the country, and the other was on an American protectorate island. I wonder how protected he feels. And so they just grabbed him, and now they're going to be throwing trumped-up charges at them and trying to throw them in jail for providing a service that millions and millions, tens of millions of Americans wanted and participated in willingly. Evidently, the concept of jurisdiction has also been tossed out, along with habeas corpus, the right to a lawyer, and everything else that used to put at least a hint of justice into our justice system. It's disgusting. So, you can't use NetTeller to play poker online, but there are other services that do the same thing. I haven't looked into any of them, so I can't make any recommendations. Just say, you know, be careful. If you want to play online poker, you're going to have to go through Click to Pay or one of these other sites that serves as an internet bank. But get out there and check the chat boards and, and make sure that they've got a good record, a good solid record. Now, these extended closing comments that I've been adding at the, at the end of the show have been pretty popular. People pretty much like them. The reason that I like them is that it gets me more email and more calls. And I really do enjoy hearing from folks. Love to hear your email. Love to hear your comments. The email address is hitman at davehit.com. You can find that in the MP3 tags of this file, or you can just go to davehit.com, which is spelled with two T's, and you'll find it all over the place there on that website. And you'll find a lot of other stuff there that's been accumulating for years that you might find entertaining. You can also give me a call at 206-203-4488. That's 206-203-HIT. Give me a call, and that will become a little recorded file that gets sent to me and may be used in one of these closing bits. I usually do a show around the 1st and the 15th of every month, I threw this one in kind of as a bonus because I didn't want to stretch this out for the whole month. I will have a show for you around the 1st of February, 1st of next month. It's going to be about the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And in that case, I can tell you that the opinions in it will be anything but wimpy. They'll be as firm and solid as, well, 
a wooden Johnson. Until then, never forget that the Quick Hits Podcast is little more than a journal of one man's opinion and therefore should not be taken too seriously. Seriously.